Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Today's podcast guest is South Asian vocalist, multi-instrumentalist and composer, not to mention Berkeley College of Music, UCLA and Harvard graduate, Ganavia. Hailed as among modern music's most compelling vocalists by the Wall Street Journal, she's here today to talk about her upcoming studio album, Like the Sky, I've Been Too Quiet. Hi, welcome on. How are you doing today? I'm okay. How are you? Really good, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know you've just said off air, this is your last interview of the day, so I really appreciate <laughs> it even more that you're making the time to do this, because I know you must be very busy. But um, So are you in New York at the moment? Are you at home in your studio? I am in Los Angeles, oh, Los or Angeles. near Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah, what are you doing there at the moment, if you're allowed to say? <laughs> of course, of course. Um, Sometimes projects are secretive, <laughs> though. You know, I don't want you to give anything away. No, no. I think that, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it would be a sad day that I had to be that careful. Um, but <laughs> well, yeah, I, I have a little bit of writing that I have to do um, to wrap up some things. And and my instruments are here. Um, so I am currently sitting in Irvine. Um but my life is a little split right now. If I'm, if I'm being honest, uh, sometimes I think about, you know, various kinds of music schools that you can go to mm-hmm. or music degrees. And sometimes when I'm on a walk, I make up these classes in my head of <laughs> certain things that, you know, would exist in this hypothetical music school. And one of them would be teaching us how to live with materiality, as in like if, Many of us have to keep moving. I have so many storage units um, and storage places. And so this year has kind of been a year of uh, living in between places. Mm -hmm. And I have all of my stuff, save these two instruments that are behind me. Um, One is a travel bass that has a modified head that has this, I think, I don't know, maybe 75-year-old kind of Vishnu prayer head that's on it. And on this side, to my left, there's this reconstructed thummer harp. But outside of these two instruments, most of my instruments are all in a storage unit. (laughs) Okay, you travel a lot. (laughs) Just, I mean, I think we all do maybe, but just this year, I think my roots have been a little, they've been in a cup of water instead of soil. So, you know. (laughs) Okay, got you. Okay. Um, Before we get into the new album, which of course we will talk about, that's out very soon. If we could just take it back a little bit to learn a bit about you and your background. So you're Tamil Nadu raised and New York born, of course. So I'm curious how your heritage and your unique upbringing with these two different cultures has, you know, shaped your music. You know, to be honest, especially I think in the exact time that I I grew up and became an artist, um, there's this urge among many of us in the diaspora that we have to show how unique we are. But I have a story that kind of easily rolls out of my tongue, just okay. out of habit. Um, of it's true, I was born in New York. That is that is actually just that's that is fact. Um, I think. It's hard to tell with my mother, um, but I wouldn't put it past her. And I think it might actually be true that she decided that she wanted a child who wouldn't have 
you know, visa issues while touring, but at the same time, she wanted this child to have received training. Um, with my grandmother, who was in South India, and the story I've been told is that it was very hard to convince them to come to America because it's just cold and my people like sun. So <laughs> right. they were like, well, all right, we tried our best. So if they're not coming here, I guess we have to take you there. So it was, it, it was as simple as that. I guess there was never really any stop or pause to be like, yeah, but what about mom and dad's career? What is this going to do to their lives? What is it going to do to our, you know, education XYZ? I think it was just, they were following, they were following love and they were following a sense of village. So it is true. I, I went to South India. I first spent some time in a village called Chingote, which is near the Kutralam Falls in, um, in the border of Tamil Nadu and Kerala. And I loved my time there. Um, it was very different from, not that I remember a lot of New York because I moved when I was quite young and not that I remember a lot of Florida either, which is where we moved afterwards. I remember a lot of Chengote, the mm -hmm. village, and then I remember a lot of Chennai, where I grew up, which is quite a large uh, city in South India. And I trained there for a while. I was training as a dancer and my feet, yeah, I guess there's, there's no, uh, way other way to explain it but I over practiced and injured myself um pretty badly and my dance career ended when I was around 14 and music was always a thing that I was learning because you know my my name means I was told one who was born to spread music and there there really has been no life outside of this as a possibility um music and 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 this life I guess but I, I'm only reckoning now, um, nearly a decade later, how much I'm still reeling from, from the suddenness of that way of being in the world as a dancer, it ending. And, um, but yeah, I mean, music was, and maybe that was a saving grace. Music was never something that I, was so self-critical about as much as I, I was, I was really harsh on myself as a dancer on form and singing is what I did in the quietness of home. And, and yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I was a very petulant teenager and sometimes still am. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, came back to the States immediately after my dance career ended because I couldn't bear the grief and I didn't know how to, I, I just couldn't, I didn't, I didn't know how to be with myself and decided I mean, my family are, many of them, most of them are artists. And um, my way of rebelling against my family was to say, well, I'm not going to do music or dance. I'm going to do science or something. <laughs> Some, so <laughs> I rebelled for, for families, it's the other way around. They want you to do science and they, they're the exactly. ones to sing or dance. I love that. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I really did. I, I was just kind of like, I'm done. I, I can't live life with this amount of raw skin on me all the time. I just can't do it. And I also think I was, I was sad because my grandmother, you know, she, she played an instrument called the Jalatrangam and she was revered and she was loved, but there were always financial difficulties in the house. And there's so many elders even today that are, that are the exact names and people that we know who have paved ways towards so much internal freedom for so many of us. And they are also financially struggling. This model of life still doesn't make 
a lot of sense to me. So I think when I, at 14, when I said, listen, I understand how fickle this life of performance can be. In one day, everything can be taken away from you in one single injury. I need to go see something else. I did. I think that was, that was a genuine, like, I need, I need to step away. Mm. And I did, I, I did a degree, um, in psychology, uh, and worked in that field a tiny amount before finding myself back in, um, Berkeley College of Music's graduate program, their first graduate program. And from there, I kind of kept falling back into music. Um, I mean, even that program I just kind of fell into because I was on my way to see my grandmother in India and her friend of a friend had suggested I stop. And yeah, I mean, you know, life has always just been, has just been that. I feel like the, both the gravities and the graces combined just kind of pull me into a world and I just do my best, I guess, to, to, (laughs) to be in (laughs) Well, like it was meant to be, I suppose. And um, I, I suppose you must get this a lot. But um, from my perspective, living in the UK, I listen to a lot of music. You can imagine doing this job. I don't really hear voices like yours too often, whether that might be on the radio or just things you come across. So it's so distinctive. Uh, your voice is very controlled. Obviously, it's so beautiful. But I have to know, where did you learn to sing? And how did you learn your unique Indian vocal style and I suppose that might sound like an obvious question being that you've spent a lot of time in India but uh, I'm just curious uh, to hear your story. No, not sure no it's um I think maybe what I was thinking about earlier when I heard the word unique is that and I guess what I meant by those children of the diaspora is that well maybe you don't even have to be like it's any of us all of us have been trained that we have to be a certain amount of unique to survive or stand out in this world. Um, or we have to be special. And it's possible. I guess what I meant by the whole story of, of, of what I was recounting to myself um, is that in one way my path is unique and in another way it's so just, you know, it's, it's the same that hundreds of people <laughs> have walked. And... It's the same thing, I think, aesthetically, is that um, I, it is true that I trained in what is most commonly referred to as a South Indian classical art form, which is Carnatic music. Um, And it gave me a very strong relationship to um, like an simultaneity in in an internal world. I guess what I mean by that is that you may not be able to hear it right now because I'm speaking into a microphone, but in Irvine, there are two separate planes that are running and then there's one car. There's a fridge motor and then there's a small fan that I can hear from one story below. The bathroom on the left side also has a small fan, exhaust fan that's going on. And all the notes, even though I don't have perfect pitch, all the notes are forming a song in my head. And the ability to relate very quickly to the intervals is something that Carnatic music taught me, I feel like. If I feel like I learned how to listen to the internal worlds of people, like if someone comes into the house, sense if they're hungry, if they want water, these are things that my mothers and my grandmothers have taught me. And in the same way, every single time I hear a note, 
I hear the note name or what I was taught as a child to call the swaram, like the pitch name. I hear it in my heart all the time, incessantly. And that is because of Carnatic music, which I am, am I hesitate to use the word virtuosity um, because it feels a little bit like peacocking. I'm not really interested in having to prove some kind of technical, you know, mm. mastery for me to earn someone's respect. I just mean in, in the simplest form, you know, you're a kid, you wake up every morning and you're made to go to class at six o'clock every morning. It's just a muscle that's practiced. And later on in my life, when I would become an adult and face, you know, adult-sized problems and couldn't practice every day, it was that foundation that allowed me to still have my practice, even though I wasn't practicing every day. But the grain of my voice does not sound like Carnatic music. Classical, so-called classical, and I do struggle with this word. I mean, anything that has the word class in it is telling you there's there's some kind of problem. Um, and the music that I ended up, I think, uh, gravitating more towards and also informing how I sing is something called the Varakari Sampradaya, which is a pilgrimage tradition where you would walk for days at a time towards a temple and you would sing. And the thing is, you were singing not in an auditorium. You weren't singing to people who had paid a ticket to come and listen to you. You were singing with many people and you were singing loudly in like underneath the sky as you were walking. And you were singing in dust and, you know, tumbleweeds and whatever. Like you were singing in the heat. You were singing not necessarily to impress anyone, but you were singing because honestly, if you weren't singing, it was really hard to walk. And right. so that, that kind of, <clears throat> that it sounds, and I, I, I really do, I think like all of us, I, I struggle with naming different kinds of sounds and music because, well, because, but I, I, it sounds more folk like to people who are listening. Um, so even the first track that's on this album, it's something that had happened kind of in the middle of the second day, uh, after hours of singing together, and you hear me kind of cracking open. I'm not trying to control anything, I'm trying to let go. And I would say that is the primary aesthetic difference between, of all these different worlds that I kind of pass through, I tend to feel more at home in the worlds where they're encouraging us to let go, not trying to control something. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess that's, you know, in, in the time that I lived in Spain, the flamenco musicians who took me into their homes and all the different kinds of kindnesses and people that have taken me in, it seems like that is the common thread of all the teachers that I end up sitting at their feet for a very long time um, is is just that one principle of how can I let go and kind of sit in love. And I, I have not found how to do that with a tight grasp or trying to control anything just yet. Um, but I, yeah. Right. So let's talk about your upcoming album, Like the Sky, I've Been Too Quiet. So I'm curious to hear about the way you work. You know, did you have an initial idea or a concept for the maybe a theme of the album or the sound or something like this sure um no the answer is no i, I don't know what i was <laughs> <laughs> what i was i was i was saying sure to uh i well 
the full truth is that there's something called the Princeton Arts Fellowship, which is a fellowship in Princeton University in New Jersey. And I, at the time, last year, I suppose, yeah, about last year, um, I was a finalist for that position. Okay. And I, what ended up happening is that I flew from the mountains where I was living um, in northwestern America. I was living in near two hours away from Portland, Oregon, in in a place called Thai Valley. And um, I flew all the way from there and drove across the gorge, flew all the way to New Jersey. And the day of my interview, realized I couldn't breathe and that I had tested positive for COVID. Okay. And I asked them if I could postpone, and they said no. So I interviewed, struggling to breathe. Wow. And just was left feeling so sad because I was like, this, like, something has gone wrong. Like, some, something has been broken that this is, like, this is life, that this is where we've arrived to. Yeah. Um, Tell me about it. <laughs> Right, and I'm I'm sure you know I'm 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 uh, this is not a critique of them. I'm just saying that there's a small child in me, who I'm holding, and she was sad. So I called, so I, you know, I I, I didn't fly back because you know obviously it wouldn't have been safe for me or for anyone else in the flight. So I I sheltered in place nearby, and um, from that place. Uh, I remember sitting in, in New York kind of just feeling a sadness. It's really not about the position. It's about how we're treating each other. And Emmanuel Wilkins, I'm not sure if you've uh, heard his music. He's a brilliant saxophone player um, who's like a brother. Emmanuel brought the world's most disgusting soup. I mean, <laughs> Lord, that had like, I wish I could read the ingredients. From, I thought he was joking. I thought like I half expected his shoe to be in the concoction. It was the worst <laughs> thing I have ever drank in my life. And it cleared the COVID within a day. He was not, <laughs> he was not lying. It had like a whole onion, garlic oh, and my. this flour. And that I just, I don't, it was, it was the worst. And I, I drank it and within a day felt better um, and called Shabaka. And this, so this is December, not this past December, but the year before. I called Shabaka, Shabaka Hutchings, um, who is like an older brother, and I called him. And um, he has a kind of like, he has a kind of presence in the world that I would like one day to orient towards. Like he's not very excessive. I don't know what I mean by that or how to describe this, but like he... I admire how he is in life. He has a kind of quietness, but also a strength in his presence. And it's just nice to be around. So I called him. I think we were supposed to talk about something else. I can't remember what it was, but I, I told him that I was sad that this had happened. And he said, well, just come, come to London. Uh, I have a few days off in, at the time, I think it would have been two weeks away. Let's just make an album. And I laughed because I thought he was, joking even though I should know know him <laughs> I should know him enough to know that he wasn't joking and then just like that within a few days I booked a ticket and I was in London and I there was no plan past that it was just one of me trusting Shabaka 
and I showed up and I just knew that we had three days in a studio. His friends would come. Uh, his friends included uh, John Leafcutter, um, Alina, a harpist, and uh, Sam, floating points, and Austin Williamson, the drummer, and... Um, and forgive me, I'm not like I'm not saying everyone's name out, out loud right now, but it was, it was Shabaka's village, and my older brother, it felt like, was just holding me by saying, "Oi, sit there, do your thing. People are going to come in and out. Just sing," and I did for three days, nearly nonstop. Wow! And then on the third day, and this is what I mean by Shabaka's like strength. On the third day, he was like, "Okay, now we're going to walk to the underpass near my house." in silence and we're gonna i'm just I'm, he had his zoom recorder out and he was like Let, i'm just going to record and we and shabaka and i and marwa his partner who's also a dear sister we just walked in quietness to the underpass and then we i just sang and he played and the rain it was raining all over and you could hear the cars go over and then that we we closed it and he said, okay, all right, I'll listen to all of this material, which is like, Lord knows how many hours. And he said, I will find the snippets and, you know, your job here is done. I'll see you in a few months when I will send you. <laughs> I'm making it seem a little more brutally efficient than it is. But <laughs> effectively, he, in the kindest of ways, basically said, um, I know that you, you, Ganavia, I know that you're hurting in many different ways because you have questions about the world and about the industry and things like that. But this is one thing I can do, which is let's just make some music together and I will, I will, I will produce the album. And, uh, and that's how it came to be. Okay. Um, what a story. And I've seen as well. So it's got 13 tracks. Um, don't worry. I won't ask you to walk <laughs> me through all of them. Um, that would be maybe a different series on its own of a podcast. But what about the, the lead single? So this is Forgive Me My, which I was listening today. Um, can you tell me a bit about what inspired this song? I guess three years ago when I was living in the chapel, nestled kind of in the mountains. Um, and it's as idyllic as it sounds. <laughs> okay. um, I had gone into a small accident. Sorry. I'd gone into a small accident and couldn't really leave the chapel. And, uh, I mean, you have to understand the closest grocery store was what, 35, 40 minutes away. It was not, you know, it's mm -hmm. not, it's definitely not city life. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I was there with someone who's, like an older sister who sings and plays the bass. And she had left her bass with me and I was playing with it like a child, like truly playing like a child. Mm -hmm. And I started playing bass like a child. I still play bass like a child plays with a toy. I, I, I don't proclaim to know what I'm doing and I, I'm not trying. I just, it gives me a strength to keep walking Basically, I feel like, you know, there are many things about my life. For instance, one of them is I'm queer and it's more or less public knowledge. And um, it makes it hard. Mm -hmm. It makes it hard to kind of go back to certain places at home. And the same people who raised you, you know, 
the same villages basically don't exist as we age the same people who yeah so like you know you spend a lot of time in the internal world and and the the village that you have today and um but i didn't realize how much i was missing the response like the familiar response i would put out the call and i got many responses in my current life but there's a very specific groove to like the old songs that i was used to singing and when she left her base with me however crudely for the first time in 10 years i was able to give those responses back to myself and it felt like truly it felt like a circuit being plugged back in and it felt like my light was turning back on after like slowly dimming quietly over the years and one of the ways then it made me think about what are the things i'm doing that um are keeping that light on but more importantly what are the things that i used to do when i was a child that i'm not doing anymore that i've become so dim mm. um and i wasn't even sure how much i wanted to be in the world it wasn't that i was trying to leave it but i wasn't i wasn't fully present and it always felt like some part of me was clocked out and i didn't understand why and i think it was grief and one of the things that became apparent to me is that i grew up singing poetry and i i grew up singing with a lot of people the house was always full of people full of arguments full of food full of love full of laughter full of crying i just mean i grew up in a world where people were everywhere and suddenly i was looking around and they weren't mm. i thought to myself well I mean people are kind of here you know I, I at the time I was wearily keeping my distance from social media um recording my first album was a very uncomfortable experience so I stepped back from recording for a really long time and um I decided that I would only move forward when I felt like I had my people around me and I would say around 2 to 3 years ago is when it felt I I felt that like the beginning of something and since then I guess I've recorded three albums like this guy's the first one to be released and I was out in this chapel and kind of looking at this strange thing that is social media and decided that I could ask people in social media who were quote unquote following me we need a better word for that but um if there was a song or a poem that i could sing back to them mm-hmm. because i used to sing in languages that nobody really s- spoken anymore and i s- certainly wasn't speaking to anyone in those languages so i thought like why not do this as like in smack in the middle of the pandemic i can't really go anywhere and i'm i have this like wand magic new friend who is singing back with me in this double bass let me ask people what words i can sing back to them and in that way i started learning truly without exaggeration hundreds of poems and i kept singing them back to people and i felt like suddenly out of nowhere my practice was back i was practicing for like at the height of it i was practicing for 6 to 7 hours a day again wow which is something i used to do when i was a child um it's hard to do that when you're by yourself uh it's 
easier to do that when you're singing with people. Endurance changes when you're not living life for yourself, but you're pointing yourself towards the grace of other people. And in short, Theju's uh, written paragraph was floating around at the time. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I knew Theju from Cambridge in Massachusetts, but someone actually sent me this very beautiful long-form text that he had written about someone who had passed and his feelings around this and the memories. And in that, he, he just kind of, at least I heard it as a sigh. He says, forgive me my forgetfulness. No one can forget gentleness. And this person who had sent it to me said, um, not knowing that I knew Deju, said, you know, my parents recently passed and my greatest regret is I never... I never told them how much I loved them because I was so angry at them. And I, I wish I could sing them a song. So I sang this song and sent it to them. And it's kind of stuck with me since. So when we were in this three-day session with Shabaka, I just found myself from a place of grief and joy and whatever all those feelings are, just suddenly sighing out the same song that I have been singing in the past three years. Um, and all it is is repeating that line. Forgive me my forgetfulness. No one can forget gentleness. And yeah, that's how the song um, came to be. Tell me a little bit about the title of the album, Like the Sky, I've Been Too Quiet. That's quite unusual. It felt like I was practically raised by the industry, that I still felt an aching to see people who are living life in a balanced way because I knew from the start that this was the thing I was going to do and this was going to be my my relationship to God and love and but I just wasn't convinced that there was a way to do it long term like I wasn't trying to burn quick and burn fast I wanted I wanted I wanted a life of this and I wanted to survive that life and I recorded one album uh, that was very difficult. The, the process was very uncomfortable and very difficult and left me feeling, um, I don't know what the word is, raw and estranged mm -hmm. to my own voice. And that album is called Aikyam Onna. And so I kind of went quiet for six years and decided that I would wait to... Because the thing about, about this life is that once you kind of enter the... It feels like the reproductive womb of the, or the, like the, of, of being seen. Things tend to move very quickly. Like once you've decided heart, mind, body, and soul, I am ready, things run so quickly. And, you know, you want to be, you want to be sure that you trained before the marathon. And I've, I felt like, you know, I've been touring since I was 12. I This is the only life I've known. I've, I felt like, and looking back, there were so many quote-unquote high-profile opportunities that I found myself saying no to, like, which were terrifying at the time. And I'm grateful for every single one of those choices because there was a wiser hand than mine guiding me somewhere. It makes no sense that a 17-year-old, a 23-year-old, a 25-year-old, a 27-year-old would have made the choices that I made at the time. That every single one of those people have come back and have stayed in my life, but now it's on more healthier 
terms. Um, because now when I say yes to something, and I think that's where the, that name of the album comes from, is that it's just an acknowledging of, of I have been quiet. I have been quiet and now I am. I am no longer quiet. I am, I am, I am stepping forward and things are moving kind of quickly, but it, it feels like I'm in a good shape. And if I'm not, I have people that I deeply trust around me, including Shabaka, who I can point to and call and say, this is how I'm feeling. <laughs> so I guess that's, you know, that's the real, that's the real story of the title. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Like this guy, I've been too quiet. Yeah, I was going to say, it's very unusual, isn't it? Like, it's not something you come across every day. And it's, it shows you've got a lot of freedom, I suppose, as well, with what you can do. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, okay, if we could just um, get a little insight into your, you know, recording process or your demo process, perhaps at home. So when you're getting perhaps ideas down and recording vocals or ideas. So I know in your home studio you're using an AKG P two twenty vocal condenser mic, which is very nice, and a K two forty MK two pair of headphones and a pair of JBL three hundred five P MK two compact powered studio monitors so that's quite a nice little setup you've got in there so i'm just going to ask a couple of things about what you liked about these so maybe we could start with the monitors um you know what you what your your thoughts are on those and how they help you in your work <laughs> sure i mean I, I come from a family and maybe even a culture i think that's fair to say that um is very skeptical of the material yeah they're always kind of pushing us to to n not think of life in terms of you know material or money or whatever but what ends up happening is that you become very hesitant to to spend money on things like a monitor and i've it's taken me a fair amount of time to realize that it anything that helps us do our jobs better makes our path of service easier and mm -hmm. you know like it's um for years i hesitated to buy monitors and now that i have them my ability to do my job is just you know it's just so much better and um yeah i mean this is a really roundabout way of of answering the question but basically when i was a graduate student at harvard for the first two years i rented the world's cheapest apartment and it was also the world's like ricketiest apartment it literally had i think like 49 holes in the wall when i moved in and i fixed it and fixed the fixed the walls constantly updating the bathroom and um rajna uh, rajna swaminathan my partner at the time and my absolute best friend in the world who's a composer and a musician who's the first student in that program kind of very gently looked at me one day and said what would your life look like if you just rented a functional apartment instead of like trying to save money and then spending <laughs> a lot of money <laughs> fixing fixing this non non-functional entity and i think that even though it seems like a very indirect way of answering it actually is the most direct way i can answer my relationship to these studio monitors is that if i had just bought good monitors instead of all like the smaller solutions over the years I would feel <laughs> I would feel the ease that I feel now but you know it's just um having good equipment is 
is part of the job. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to have it on my desk. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear they've made such a transformation for you. So you must have noticed the difference in sound quality. Were you not using any before then or just some maybe desktop speakers or something? I No, I, I, I did have good speakers, but they weren't monitors. Um, oh, and, got it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They were, yeah the pro yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's also just a matter of like, you know, I, if, I've often depended on studios um, and just would go and work in a studio. But there's nothing quite like just being able to get up in the middle of the night and do work in your own home. Um, and that has been deeply helpful and transformative. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. when the idea strikes, I suppose, you don't have to go and book studio time. You can just go and lay the track down or the idea that's perfect um okay let me ask you about the mic then so i know this one particularly is perfect for vocals guitar and brass and given your you're a guitarist and a multi-instrumentalist obviously and a vocalist so um how have you found this mic to be useful for you well, I am not a guitarist, but I could be. Oh, excuse maybe me, I thought day. you were. I thought I saw <laughs> videos of you playing guitar on your Instagram. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, I, I play the guitar like a child. I guess. Oh, right. I, you know, <laughs> You're I, being <laughs> modest. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm really not. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I you know, I, I think that uh, finding a microphone is a little bit like, a, you know, the wand chooses you. Sorry to use that. As I love that. <laughs> <laughs> the one chooses um, the wizard. Yes, it does. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry to have gone there. No, but yes. Don't be sorry. I love yes, it. And I, and I think for my for my voice, um, there are a couple of microphones at home, and uh, it's you know each one each one needs to be pulled out at the right time. And AKG in general has been something that I can kind of use across the board. Um, my voice seems to have very specific profiles. So I have like a very thin, whispery voice that sometimes I sing from. Then the volume can get quite high. Um, it can become, you know, there's a lower register. It, and there's certain mics that work really well for any one of those aspects. Um, but AKG mics in general are, they can kind of catch all of it, um, which makes my job easier. Um, so yes, I, I am, um, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I enjoy no, that part of it. That makes sense. I was going to ask us about the different dynamics of your vocal style. That's great that you've got a microphone that can you feel is comfortable can capture that. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, last question then. So I have to ask about the headphones. So, um, you know, these are built in particular to, you know, withstand the demands of countless hours in the studio. I'm not saying you're always countlessly in there for many hours. Maybe you are, I don't know. But, you know, are these, how have you found the headphones to be um, for you and your work on music? Well, um, I think the most exhausting thing about being in a studio is like this impossible ask that sometimes to me on days where I'm really cranky feels like um, it's like almost an unholy ask which is to create something yeah. to like breathe to, to capture a breath and then make it available in perpetuity something about that sometimes can actually make me sick if I think about it for too long um, and if what I'm wearing and what I'm using and like 
all the contraptions around me are on me like a tight shirt instead of like a loose dress, mm -hmm. I'm more aware of the fact that I'm doing something that, you know, is, is, it can live much longer than me. And that's very uncomfortable. The whole, the whole thing is very uncomfortable. Basically, the second you go into the studio, you feel the gaze of like a, of something watching you. And for us to kind of re-enter a state of ease and gentleness and just be in the moment, everything on us, in front of us, everything that we're working with should sound as close to just life, mundane life as possible. And um, my favorite thing about this particular set of headphones is that it's so light. It just sits on my head and is so light that I, I forget that it's on, which is helpful, you know, mm. um, instead of something that's very like bulky or very tight on your ears to make sure there isn't any sound leakage or whatever. And this is just kind of, yeah, it's like the loose dress that I'm wearing right now. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's good. That's what we want. Um, okay, then I have to, well, final question. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. I didn't ask you earlier. Um, given the type of music that you make, I'm interested. Are you a fan of an artist or a band that would surprise people? For instance, I don't know, are you into heavy metal music or, you know, I don't know, are you a Taylor Swift fan? <laughs> oh, well, um, 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 um. You know, actually, to be honest, something I'm trying to get better at is to be able to listen to more recorded music. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to kind of meet people and their music as I'm actually meeting them actively in life. Um, I can I can I say something a little bit off the record? Actually, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <Make a note. laughs> I didn't I didn't know who Quincy Jones was until I worked with him. <laughs> I'd love it if we kept that in. I won't, I promise, but that's like I mean you can, fine, it's fine. It's I'm I'm okay with that actually. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's I mean right. it's you know, so yes, I um I guess at this point it, I sh I might as well. I mean, enough people close to me know the story about me, so it's I it's I'm I'm sure it'll make him laugh um if it ever gets to him. But so yes, Elder Quincy Jones, who I met when I was working with my brother Alfredo Rodriguez in this album called Tocororo. Um, <laughs> so yes, I, I had just kind of defected from this PhD program in ethnomusicology, which uh, nobody has enough time to delve into the complications of that singular word. But anyway, I I, I, I tried a graduate program out uh, a little bit, and then I was like, I'm not in an anthropological mood and then kind of walked away from it. But I walked out of it straight into touring with Alfredo and uh, Quincy Jones's production company. Um, and I didn't know who he was. Uh, and I never looked him up because I'm silly like that, I guess. I just knew him to be a very kind elder that we spend time with sometimes and, you know, produced Alfredo's work and also was very dear to Alfredo, and therefore by proxy was very dear to me. And he was nothing but kind. I mean, he wrote my letter of recommendation to Harvard. He was wow. very, very, very kind and has, is just, you know, is, is an elder and he's, he's there. And, um, it wasn't until like, I think two years after the album that I was speaking to someone and, and, uh, realized that I had kind of confused his profile with another elder 
entirely. Um, who is uh, Fred Quimby, who is, you know, the person I think who created Tom and Jerry. And, um, and also in my defense, Quincy Jones is just one of those people who has done so much in their life mm-hmm. that it, I wouldn't be surprised if you said, oh yeah, he wrote the music for Pink Panther and Tom and Jerry. And also, you know, he like discovered the seventh, seventh mark on the moon or whatever. I just mean <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. That, yeah. That sounds about right. I, I just, I have, I know so, I know so little about this world and I think I do that on purpose because it just feels, it feels overwhelming. And I just, you know, I just want a quiet life with my people and I want my people to be all people and I don't want to get caught up in any of the other anxieties. So I, I kind of purposely keep my head down as, as much as possible. And as I meet people in day-to-day life, you know, I like basically I've, I've, I've found and listened to all the music of everyone that I could who showed up to the album recording. Um, and in that way, I kind of try to keep finding new music. Um, but there's one, I don't think this would surprise people because I've, I've probably spoken about it a fair amount. Um, but there's this one band. I can't, I can't speak French to save my life. So this is going to be really bad, but their name is Les Filles de Ila Haddad. That sounded pretty good. (laughs) Well, that was pure luck. Luckily, Um, I can't speak French either. So you could have said anything. They're, uh, they're, they're brilliant. Um, and, and this album, uh, which is self-titled, it was released in 2016, I think February, if I'm remembering correctly. It was called Le Fide Le Khadad. Fatou Setig Hali and Alamna Akrauni, I think were the names. I don't, I don't, uh, yeah. And Telilit, uh, I don't remember what track. I think it's the second to last track. But there's something really beautiful about that album because they're just kind of, they're just s- sitting outside and recording it and i i love them with my whole heart someone i've been listening to a lot lately is jose gonzalez who mm-hmm. i will um yeah i i so rarely feel like a flutter in my heart and hope that i can play and make music with someone um because i just feel like i don't know life is is great the way that it is but both with Jose Gonzalez and and Liffy, I think every time I listen to them, my heart flutters a little bit. I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, that's I would, nice though. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, I would. Um, and of course, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Samora Penderhughes, uh, who's also a brother lately. But sorry, yeah, I don't. I don't. Solange, I guess that's that's another thing. I, I can't think of something that um, would surprise. <laughs> Would surprise anyone. Um, uh, I'm sorry, that's quite a I wanted to say current, answer. but that sounds um, patronizing as a word. I don't think that's what you mean, is it? I think. What is current? Su- just, you know, like a current artist, meaning currently in the charts, basically. Oh, I see. I see. That's um, what I thought you were, were trying to think of. But Solange, yeah, Solange is really underrated. She's a fantastic artist in her own right. <laughs> I love a seat at the table. Yes, I, I do too. Um, on a different day when we're not podcasting and if I'm meant to sit across you and have tea, I will tell you a story about that very particular, <laughs> about that particular album. But, okay. but yeah, I, I can't, I guess I'm so, I'm so, um, I am so I'm kind of embarrassingly, uh, head in sand that I don't even know who the current artist. Ooh, watermelon sugar. Does that count? I think that counts. That's within the last two years. It counts. 
okay great <laughs> great pop tune no great song i thought that immediately when i heard it really well made really well produced love that it sounds almost like a folk song doesn't it um, yeah. i mean like the i could i could hear it as like someone could pick up a guitar and just sing it and i think you know i don't know i think the best of songs are songs that are like that can keep us company as we're walking yes you definitely know, so yeah definitely yeah, that's all okay, <laughs> i'm no. sorry no that's good that's an honest answer i like that you're a harry styles fan i don't know what those are called stylesies or something probably um, literally just that one song i can't name another one it is a great song to be honest so yes it's a great song um okay well i i think that's a a lovely note to close on so i just want to say best of luck with the album which is out in march um yes. thank you so much for taking the time to tell me well so much about yourself and you know your your life and your experiences you've been very very open and um yeah just thank you so much and I, I look forward to hearing the album when it's out of course thank you for the conversation you are so welcome and yeah we'll talk about Solange another time then yeah thank you thank you <laughs> thank you so much bye-bye take care bye Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.